Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Nah, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Howdy, everybody. This is Eric. And. Howdy, Eric. There you are. Who, who, the, who the f*** are you? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Well, uh, Eric and Greg here for another week. You're listening to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, aka the okayest podcast in the Midwest. Be prepared to be underwhelmed per usual. Uh, this is episode, I don't remember, 140 something. Today's July 21st. We're rolling into August here pretty quick, folks. And uh, we're happy to be here. This is yep. also the okayest hunter podcast studio. I don't know. Do people realize that that's like a thing? OKSHunter.com. I think they do. If you want to check, I believe that they do. I'm wearing their. I'm wearing their hat right now. It's the uh, the antler hat. So it's if you want to save some money on their stuff, enter in code Where to Hunt Podcast. Sorry, W2H Podcast. Shit, and you'll get ten percent off. And their proceeds go to two percent for conservation. So that's kind of neat. I think. That is cool. You're setting the bar high already, so I should be able to screw up my my part of the ads here. I'm not. No I'm not with it hand. today. I'm just seriously not with it today. It's like a problem. Uh, Greg, how are you, man? How was your weekend? Uh it was busy. It was busy. I, uh, I played lumberjack. I cut down on a big dead ash tree that the emerald ash borer tore up in my backyard. Killed it, so it had to come down before it landed on the house. So that's what I did. Wow. Sounds, Pretty freaking hot outside. Like you had doing a lot that. more fun than me. I went camping with my... Dad built character. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what else builds characters? Camping with your two-year-old and your one-year-old. And I've never yeah, done that before. That was a first. Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. It was good to, to get some fresh air. Uh, it was hot. It was real hot. We had to pack it up early for my little guy. Babies don't do well in the heat. No. Saturday was a hot one. But yeah, that was it. I mean, it was a it was a it was a fun weekend. Uh, we're back at it. Today's Tuesday, and uh, yeah, we're ready to go. Um, I know you did some some prep with your bow. Looks like you got your HHA sight, your uh, Tetron there, and a new um, release. Yep, I got not a, release, but a drop. Uh, yep, the yep the new the new Tetra sights on there, and the Virtus drop away rest is on. Um, I'm plunking bullseyes at 20 yards, no problem. Uh, no complaints. Great stuff. Installs nice and easy. 
It helps when you take measurements off your old stuff when it works. I will throw that little tidbit out there. Use a, use a tape measure. It'll get you nice and close. That's good. I'll have to, we'll have to chat yeah. about that because i got to set my stuff up. But um, let's roll into some some uh, sponsor call-outs. We'll do some quick ones here. Whether you're at work, in a tree stand, or simply waking up, it's important to be alert. And there's no better way to get there than with Backwoods Grind Coffee. Ground fresh for every order, delivered straight to your door. Backwoods Grind Coffee. Take a look at your feet. Are you wearing Gumleaf USA boots? You said no. You gotta reevaluate some things. Each pair is handmade and tested to take over a million flexes. These boots will take just about anything you can throw at them. Use promo code W2H2020 for 10% off your final purchase at GumleafUSA.com. So, I still don't have the code in that commercial for uh, Backwoods Grind, but it's W2H Podcast. If you want to go to BackwoodsGrind.com, plunk that in there and save some money on a sampler pack or a whole bag or whatever you got. It's good stuff. Super good. I got a lot of compliments on it uh, right. over the weekend for some of the folks that were camping with us, some family members, and they're like, holy shit, that's good. And they were right. I made it in a percolator over a campfire. It was as authentic as it could get. It was delicious. Sounds like it. Heck yeah. You got one to do. I'll let you do yours. Mine are easy. I just got to push yeah, a button. Yeah, I do. All right. So if you're, uh, if you're looking for a set of arrows custom built to your spec, uh, look no further than Vector Custom Shop. Uh, head on over to VectorCustomShop.com and check out what they've got to offer. Uh, you can order a two-pack. It's a test pack with built however you want it. You can order two different spines, two different weights, however you want to do it. Um, just email them your specs, and they'll they'll build what you want. And once you figure out what you need with the test pack, then you can order a half dozen or a dozen weighted however you want. Um, and when you do that and you go to check out, enter code where to hunt, and that will save you 10% off anything on vectorcustomshop.com. Booyah. You didn't That's mess simple. that up at all. I think that was uh, beautiful. Yeah. Why, thank you, Eric. Yeah, good job. And we, uh, we do have a caller on the line with us. Our guest for the day today. Uh, Who do we have? Sarah Ann, the outdoor medic. Sarah, you've been a listener to the podcast for a little while. I think you've called into the show before, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I have. Well, welcome to the show officially as a guest. Suffer through. <laughs> why, why did you <laughs> well, listen to our... thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you listened to our, our shenanigans. Well, I got to learn something. I suppose... Wow, we, I guess we can teach something, <laughs> too. What, to yeah, exactly. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth, Greg. Holy cow. Well, you guys... You guys are about like I am. I'm not anything spectacular, so I guess I fit in. That's good. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, we are definitely uh, <laughs> nothing spectacular at all. My wife's like, you people listen to you. You can't sell yourself short, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, I'm not selling myself short. I'm being honest. She's selling us short, Greg. Come on. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. You get better with every episode, no matter how stupid you sound. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Welcome to the show. Uh, 
let's have you just tell the audience and us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? All that good stuff. Well, I am Sarah Ann, the Outdoor Medic. I am from Iowa, Northeast Iowa, and I actually host my own podcast, The Outdoor Medic. Uh, I talk about mental health and how the outdoors helps heal. And I also do have some hunting shenanigans on there as well. Um, you can find me on Facebook, The Outdoor Medic, or on Instagram, The Outdoor Medic. Nice. Nice. Cool. So that's a pretty sweet name you scooped up there. Surprised it wasn't taken ready. Um, what do you like to hunt? I am too, what, actually. What are you, what are you chasing? Um, um, what do you, what's your, what's your, like, you know, your thing? Well, uh, obviously here we're kind of limited. I do, I do hunt deer with my bow and then I, uh, turkey hunt as well. I try that with my bow. I haven't been successful yet, but I've been doing that for about five, six years. So eventually I'll have to connect with one. It's hard. I was a pretty That's late bloomer with that myself. So once it happens, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. And I have also not recovered a buck with my bow. I have shot one. I shot one actually the night Trump got elected. And it. I hunt next to a ravine, and I never found it. I went out the next morning and looked for him, but I never found him. Ah, and it was a five-yard shot, dead center. I know I hit him good, but I just I never found him. That son of a bitch. That happened to my dad, and he found it. Um, well, my cousin found it later shed hunting and they stumbled upon it and it was like right under my dad's nose the whole time so he recovered it and oddly oh, enough I'm... like the varmin didn't get to it and chop up all the antlers so he ended up getting it mounted but it was never registered it would have been a big deer and uh, there's like i said there's a ravine behind me that leads down to a river and i'm assuming that's exactly where he went and and it's like it's like a bluff so it's very hard to get down to so yeah that's rough that's rough um so yep. tell us a little bit about like your professional, well, I guess let's hold on. I'm jumping the gun. What are your plans for the, for this <laughs> season? What are you doing to prep for it right now? And what are you, any goals or anything like that or things you're trying new this year? Um, I'm hopefully, well, with the whole coronavirus, everything's kind of been, you know, at a standstill, but hopefully I'm going back out to Jersey. I went out to Jersey last year in October. I had no luck. I didn't even see a bear. I went to the highest populated county of bears in New Jersey, and the only bear I saw was the one that my buddy tagged. And everybody kept saying, oh, you'll see a bear, you'll see a bear. Like restaurant owners, gas station owners, everybody said, I'll see a bear. And I did not see a single bear alive during my whole trip. But I'm hopefully getting back out there in the fall and then um, obviously deer hunting here in Iowa. Rock on. That's right. I, I think I remember you calling in to tell us about some bear hunt stuff. Yep, that was me. Mm-hmm. Do you bait or put out trail cams for those things, or what, how are you um, trying to get on them? I will. I hunt over bait. Uh, somebody takes care of all of that for me. Basically, I just go out and they take me around because I don't. We don't have bears around here, so I'm not any like familiar at all with them. And they do all the prep work for me. I just go out and it's it's all private land because New Jersey does not allow public land hunting um, for bears because of an executive order signed by the, the governor a couple years ago. And so we just go out and if a bear shows up, a bear shows up, they have trail cams out. They have bears all over out there. They just, they weren't cooperating with me. Those bastards. 
And then you're going to shoot it with the bow, right? Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And actually flying with the bow is what I had called in about because I was concerned about that. And it's actually easy to fly with a bow. It's just like an extended piece of luggage. Um, You just check it and, and then you pick it up at the, the check luggage. So that's pretty straightforward. Wow. Interesting. Do you get any weird looks like traveling with your bow, like initially kind of just getting into the airport and the general area? Well, I flew out of Dubuque, which is a really tiny airport, and actually they made me miss my flight because they they were like, we don't know what to do with this, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, it was just a mess, and then they were really they were really good about getting me on another flight out later on in the day after they had decided this is an archery, like this is archery equipment, this is okay, and then they told me how to, how to fly with it. So um, I checked it, and then after that, yeah, I got a, a bunch of weird looks when I landed in Newark, but other than that, I mean, around here it wasn't anything special, and I mean, I was pretty straightforward. I'm like, this is a bow, and everybody was, like, cool with it, so. That's cool. Makes sense. <laughs> I've never flown with a bow, though. I wouldn't mm-hmm. know much about that at all, so it's kind of interesting to think about because I'm, I'm assuming some people do it quite frequently, you know, in some, at some level. Uh, yeah, I, I have a really nice S. KB case, I think is what it's called, and you can lock it. But I put my bow in there, and then I packed my hunting clothes around it so it was extra padded. And then I had to put my broadheads in with my checked luggage for like my clothing suitcase. And I had uh, foam around them, and I just put them in a little Tupperware container and I packed them away. And that, was, and the only thing I had trouble with was um, I had packed an aerosol can in my. Um, carry on and I had to to put that in my checked bag before I before I could go because I couldn't take that on the plane yeah sure they'll they'll confiscate anything aerosol yep interesting there's not many people traveling right now that that industry is hurting pretty bad but interesting um I'm curious to know Doug Glimmerveen says hey hey what's up Doug uh feel free to call in we'll open up the phone lines in like 15 minutes at 7 30 just as a heads up Um, but I'm interested in also like your professional career and how you've blended these two worlds together, how you're the outdoor medic, but, uh, tell us what you do by day as much as you can anyways, and kind of how that all started for you and what you're doing with that. Well, I am a critical care paramedic at a local hospital, which means that I have a special certification to deal with the most critical patients in transport. I eventually will hopefully get my flight medic certification. You have to take all these tests to get these certifications. So it is a lot of work. Um, And then every two years I have to recert. And when I recert, I have to take classes and obviously get reeducated on some of the things that have changed in the last two years. But um, I do, I work in the hospital, so I work in the ER. And then when there are 911 calls, I respond to those in the ambulance, or if there's a transfer from the hospital to another hospital, then I respond and take the, those calls as well. And then when I'm at home, I'm on my volunteer service for my local town. So I'm on call basically all the time. And a little bit about what I do, I can manage anything from trauma to any kind of medical calls. We get a lot of medical calls in our area. Traumas are something that I'm not very comfortable with, but I'm trained to do with to deal with them so I I mean I do my best and everything that we're taught is we're to revert back to basics if it's something that we don't know how to manage we just revert back to our airway breathing and our 
um, circulation, and then we go from there. And a lot, a lot of things can be managed with just basic stuff, so I don't get to use all my fancy skills all the time. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. What made you decide to get into doing that? Um, actually, I was working retail, and I wanted to help somebody because my boss was an alcoholic. And you, you learn when you want to help people that you can only help people that want to help themselves. So um, I was drawn to helping people and I got my CNA and I worked in a nursing home for a while and then I went to the hospital and then when you work in a hospital, you have to put in so many skilled hours and the hospital that I was working for wanted to grow their ambulance service. So I got my EMT license and from there, I decided that I really enjoyed being in the back of an ambulance. So I wanted to get my medic because my town has two medics, three medics, and they are a little bit older and I'm, you know, kind of young. So I wanted to help out my community as much as I could. So my town actually put me through medic school and I had signed a contract. So I'm on service with them basically for life because I don't plan on moving, but I'm, I'm there to help. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then an opportunity came for me to get my critical care certification. And I jumped right on that because you need that extra critical care stuff to go get your flight medic. And that's actually my end goal for EMS side. And then eventually I would like to get my physician's assistant. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to deviate, but it's not my fault as normally it would be, but (laughs) One of the, the the folks watching had said that uh, in your profile, you mentioned uh, you're a seasoned coon hunter, and you said not many people talk about that. Is there anything special going on there? Um, Actually, to tell you the truth, I did start coon hunting. When I started hunting, that was the thing that I was going to hunt. I was never going to hunt deer. I was never going to hunt turkey or bear. I'm an adult-onset hunter. And I actually just love the dogs working. And that's kind of where I started hunting. And uh, we actually lost our two dogs that we did use for coon hunting. And I haven't been coon hunting for years. Uh, Three kids and they're all busy. And it's hard to get out when they're a little bit older. I plan on trying to get back out into it because it really is. It's gorgeous out in the woods and at night. And then the dogs run in and you get to see big bucks bedded down. Like it's just. It's amazing. It's like a different it really world. is amazing. And it's probably one of the most underrated things to hunt because they're, the coon hide prices are, sh- are shit. I mean, they've been shit for years. So, When's the yeah, last time you did that? Last time. Sorry, Greg. What? Go ahead, Greg. You go, go first. Ahead. No, no, no. You go. <laughs> yeah, I think it was early, two th- early 2000s was the last time I trapped coons and, and actually took them to market. I had a buddy that help me scrape them and he was really good at it he he trapped quite a bit and he kind of taught me some stuff but i think the most I, we got for a coon i got one that was pretty large and so big it couldn't turn around in the live trap i got 75 bucks for it and that was like early 2000s and yeah i was gonna say the, the like, most we've ever the most we've ever gotten for one i think was like 20 bucks yeah the market really tanked it's just mm-hmm. not a not a, a great not a good strong market for fur, unfortunately. No. Nope. Well, Kent, you said you had a couple dogs that you don't have anymore. What kind of dogs were you using? Uh, we actually had a blue tick, and uh, then we 
we used him for the the tracking and the treeing, and then I had a, a mountain cur, and, and they were a great team. She was our kill dog. She kept me safe. Like, I, I literally was not afraid of anything in the woods with her by my side. That's pretty cool. And that was down in Iowa where you're doing most of that? Yep. Yeah, yep. That's pretty neat. How fun. I've never, I mean, like, I've heard people doing a lot of coyote hunting at night or coyote. I think that's a big debate, uh-huh. coyote versus coyote. Craig, what's your, what do you call them? Devil dog, song dog, <laughs> yote. You just How does that come <laughs> Piece of shit. No, you ever shoot one, they stink. Yeah, they stink. I mean, they're cool to see. You know, it's all it's cool to see everything in nature, right? But yeah. when when you got chickens around and they happen to raise hell with your chickens, that's kind of a problem. So they get shot. You know, I've taken a few of them with with my bow already. They smell awful. They usually get buried, and they're usually so mangy when I do shoot them. So both of them I shot were early in the season. They weren't when their their pelts were prime. Yuck. All right. So that was a deviation. My bad. Uh, good question. Okay. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate you asking that. Um, we were talking about like kind of how and why you got into the medical field. Um, you know, my thought process, you know, I, I learned some of this stuff, you know, like how to do a tourniquet and, you know, if someone's injured, like I forget the, it's, I don't remember much at all. I'm actually, I would be terrible to like get injured around, but it's like, you know, check, is it check, check the breathing, stop the bleeding or just stop the bleeding, check the breathing. I can't remember the order of operations, but I remember the things like that you're supposed to do. I just don't know in what order. All right. Right before we get into the order of operations for how to actually deal with uh, saving someone's life and taking care of them, let's get into the shot of the week. All right, the shot of the week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Head on over to VectorCustomShop.com. Take a look around, see what you uh, like. They have a couple different options, but uh, the real deal is that they're going to build arrows to your specifications. So based on your draw length, weight, uh, number of cams, single, double, uh, style of hunting, tree stand, ground and pound, hang and bang, whatever it is you do, or like whatever uh, species you hunt. Are you hunting elk? Are you hunting whitetail? Are you hunting bear? Whatever that all looks like, they collect that information and intel from you. They can even have a conversation with you about some of that stuff and learn what broadheads you're shooting, etc. And then they'll build that arrow specifically to your specifications, outfit it with an ethics insert-outsert system, and ship it right to your door. And you can even get a test pack of two arrows so you can fine-tune and make sure that that is, in fact, the right setup for you. So please head on over to Vector Custom Shop. Check those guys out. And if you want to save some money on the arrows, you can use code where the number two, the word hunt for 10% off. Let's get into our shot of the week. All right. So it was in, uh, what was it? Last, uh, last early season in North Dakota. So 2019, um, it was our second uh, night hunting. I was after this uh, particular buck I called Velveteen. And uh, he, he read the script the, the first night but I couldn't get a shot off on him. And then the second night he uh, read the script and he came in and he was at like 25 yards and he was quartering to me just a little bit, but I wanted him to come further and he didn't. Uh, So he was standing there long enough. So I drew back or I was already drew back on him and I just kind of tucked it up close to his shoulder, let the arrow fly. 
And I mean, just hit him right where you're supposed to. And uh, he ran off and I got down about an hour and a half later, found really good blood and uh, just kind of backed out for about two and a half, three hours, went back to the lodge, talked to other boys and they're like, oh, he's dead. Let's go get him. So went and uh, went back. It was, it was probably three hours later and there were seven of us and we just combed everywhere. I mean, he, we saw where he was laying down. There was blood everywhere and just uh, ended up like going through, you know, kind of, we kind of thought he went into the cornfield. So we went in there and uh, found a little bit of blood um, and then just nothing. And we combed the, the field for two and a half days. And with the bad weather um, and the rain and whatnot, they couldn't get the crops out till this year. Well, it turns out that uh, at least two of us walked within 50 yards of them and uh, they found him. They actually ran over his antlers with the corn picker about two months, about a month and a half ago and sent me the pictures of the rack. So um, he ended up dying 300 yards from the stand. And it was, I mean, obviously the, the very lowest of lows and then to the highest of highs, you know. Uh, so I was able to recover him and he's about 152 inches and he was full velvet. So oh, wow. I'm in the process of uh, getting him recreated. That's pretty cool. Who's doing that work for you? Uh, Daryl Madej, I believe his name is. I think I might've got his last name um, wrong, but he's in Wisconsin here. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, he's going to, he's going to recreate it. They've got a cool little velvet process that they can do. So, and I've got tons of pictures of them so they can, they can, because they snapped off one of his beams and they ran over him and it actually punctured the tire. <laughs> and uh, so I was just like, good, you ran over my deer, you get a punctured tire, you know? Holy cow. But uh, yeah, so it was a good, it was a good end of the story, but I mean, I was just sick forever. You know, it was just like, cause I knew I made a lethal shot on them, but it's just like, uh, once they stop bleeding and they're running in corn, I mean, good luck. You yeah. know, it's, it's almost impossible. So thanks again, Bobby, for sharing your uh, shot of the week with us this week. We totally appreciate it. Uh, bailed me out of talking to myself for hours on end uh, in the middle of the night on Instagram. So <laughs> look, if you want to share a story for the shot of the week, it's pretty simple. We can either fish for stories and go live on Instagram, or if you he are hearing this and you have a story you want to submit, just go to our Instagram page, click on the link in the bio, and the first thing you see says shot of the week. If you click that, it'll take you to our anchor platform, which is where we host the podcast, and it'll say, uh, click here to submit a voice memo, and it'll access your phone's microphone, and you share your story, and that's it. It's pretty straightforward. If you have any questions on how to do that, or if there's another method you'd like to do or choose, I can help facilitate that uh, by maybe recording a phone call or you can send in through your recording app on your iPhone or download one for your Android on the Google Play Store. There's lots of ways to do it. And we want those stories. We love them. I hope that you are all enjoying them, but let's get back into our interview. Okay, so my disclaimer, these are all my personal opinions. Good. So if anybody dies, it's not my fault. Yep. <laughs> so basically what you want to do in like any kind of situation, the first thing you want to do is remain calm. A lot of people forget that and they start freaking out. You can't do it. You can't help anybody if you're not okay. Like you have to be okay mentally. You have to like take some nice deep breaths. That's what I tell a lot of my drivers when they're, they're ready to run with lights and sirens, take a nice deep breath, you know, just relax because it is not your emergency. It is their emergency. So the first thing you want to do ABCs is what we're taught um, obviously you want to control bleeding, but you want to make sure their airways open and they're breathing adequately. So like if it's an injury to their face, you want to first make sure that they're breathing and that their airway is open. Like they're not choking on anything. Um, they're not like having blood drip down their throat or anything. So 
those are important. But a lot of people are not going to have injuries to their face unless they fall out of a tree stand, which if you're using a harness, then you should be okay. I have hauled tree stand injuries before, and they are horrible. Like, they're so preventable, and it's just it's terrible to have to listen to them say, I, I don't know if I'll be able to hunt again. You know, that's just something that you have to think about, too. Um, so... I always carry a tourniquet. I know people, they go out and they buy the cheap first aid kits from like Walmart or wherever they get their first aid kit that comes with like three band-aids. If you're going to have an accident in the woods, chances are those three band-aids, you might as well throw them out in the wind because that's about how much they're going to help you. Um, I carry a tourniquet in my backpack. I carry a tourniquet in my purse and I carry two tourniquets in my hunting pack because if an injury to like a leg happens and you're bleeding out fast, you may need to apply two tourniquets. Um, And that's also something that you should practice with. And if you're not comfortable, I know like around my area, I have no problem. If somebody's like, Hey, how do you use a tourniquet? Like I have practice tourniquet. I can show you, like I can demonstrate it. I have no problem teaching people how to use stuff. There's also classes that are offered, I think nationwide, called stop the bleed classes and they teach tourniquet usage as well. Interesting. And, and just to, you know, I like, um, define what a tourniquet is. That's like, I, I picture in my mind, like some sort of cloth and stick that you can twist to apply pressure. Is that what I'm thinking of? Or I, there's actual tourniquets. I recommend, um, everybody purchasing like a cat tourniquet. They have the, the twist, that you're talking about and when you apply a tourniquet you only want to twist until the bleeding stops you don't need to twist it super hard you just twist until the bleeding stops but obviously the first line of defense against bleeding is just direct pressure put a hand over top of whatever's bleeding and there's different kinds of bleeding there's like oozing of like you know capillary like just like if you cut your finger there's like oozing of the blood mm-hmm. and then there's like venous blood which is darker and it flows, but it doesn't spurt. Now, if you have spurting blood, that's an arterial bleed. And those are the, the most damaging ones because those will bleed out quickly. Venous blood is returning to the heart. So it's not under as much pressure. Arterial blood, which is the spurting blood is directly coming from the heart. So there's a lot of pressure with that. So those injuries will bleed out a lot faster. Got it. And so, like, if you have a laceration on your calf, on your leg, your calf muscle, mm-hmm. you're going to apply that tourniquet above that to stop that bleeding, right? Yes. You want to go at least at least two inches above the joint. So if it's on your calf, you'd want to go above your knee about two inches. If it's, if it's in, like, your quad area, you just want to go, like, two inches above it. And I know a lot of people want to apply a tourniquet first, but... You want to try to just control the bleeding with gauze. Like you can go to you can go to any store and you can buy rolled gauze, and I would carry at least one or two of them in your pack. I also carry um, some bleeding control dressing, which has like a quick clot in it, and it's a gauze that's like four feet long with this quick clot in for like puncture wounds. So if you were to like get punctured with a stick, you can put that in there and just note like times that you do this because as a, as an a paramedic, I cannot put quick clot in there, but as a hunter, I can. Like, 
that's where I have to draw the line too. And then I also carry uh, an emergency bandage. I know some people call them Israeli bandages. They're similar to a tourniquet, but they have like a pad. And these actually work for children a lot better. So I always carry one of them just in case, because kids can't, you can't, it's hard to apply a tourniquet to a child because their limbs are so small. Right. That's interesting. So um, you check the, you check the breathing, you try to stop the bleeding or control the bleeding. So first you're assessing you said ABC. Mm-hmm. So you remain calm, deep mm-hmm. breaths, take a yeah. chill pill for a second, get your bearings about And you. it's also important to keep, it's also important to keep the person calm that the injury happened to, because I know some people, the second they see a little bit of blood, they're freaking out and you look at it and it's just a tiny cut, you know, I mean, and, and accidents do happen like, like anything else. So, I mean, it's important to remain calm and to try to keep the person as calm as possible because if they're calm, then they're also going to be able to use their brain. Cause yeah. the first thing that goes out the window when somebody isn't calm is cognitive ability. I mean, I've seen people trying to dial 911 who can't even punch in three numbers because they're so freaked out about what's going on. Yep. Yep. Everyone does respond different. It, it, yeah. the, the calm factor, like I think of the, of the saying, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Like you want to be able to go through these steps smoothly so you're not skipping them or forgetting and that's, something. And that's part, of where, that's part of where I'm, like I'm trained to be cal- the calm in the storm. Like oh, the analogy that was used a lot in my paramedic class was actually like a duck on the water. When you watch the duck on the water, the duck is smooth and he he's just chill and under the water those feet are pedaling like crazy so that's like what i try to to bring into a room when i when i get to the room or when i get to the scene i try to be that calm like that person that's just looking and observing and then my brain is thinking this is what i need to do because that just right there can help turn a situation from chaotic to just smooth i mean it's just it's kind of hard to describe because it's just how I work. But I mean, to the lay person, they see me walk in and they're like, why aren't you freaking out? And it's like, it doesn't do me any good to freak out, you know? No, absolutely not. Right? No, like, you can't, you can't concentrate and do the job that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not my emergency. It is their emergency. I am just there to use my skills and my tools to assist them until I get them to the ER. And so uh, ABC, is that, airway breathing and circulation or does that mean something different nope that means airway breathing circulation sometimes it means caffeine for me because you know (laughs) i need some caffeine to stay awake that's funny so then what what like what's the next action there like um and there's a a website i was looking at and there's like some general rules of thumb when i was looking at backcountry safety like things to bring with like Mm -hmm. you're talking about like having a tourniquet or two and some gauze and some things like that you know, I think um, the mm-hmm. the Walmart first aid kit probably is garbage. So it's good to hear like, oh, these these yeah, are I, the things I should bring I with mean, me. You can, I bring some of that stuff like in my purse because I have kids. So the kids want Band-Aids and stuff like that. So I carry a basic first aid kit that I bought from Walmart. But I did purchase, um, I, I have cat tourniquets that I've purchased. And um, the quick clot ble- bleeding control dressing, I've purchased that. And then I have the Israeli bandage, which I have also purchased. I also carry uh, trauma shears, uh, pulse ox, uh, pupil flashlight. Um, my algorithms for like children, like different types of like things that I would go through for a child. 
I, I mean, because I go to ball games and I go I go to a lot of places with my bag, so I carry extra stuff that I probably don't need to carry hunting, but I just carry it in a pack and I just throw the pack in with my backpack. Yeah. You're, so you're definitely more prepared than most. I would say, gosh, you said you felt really safe with your dog in the woods. I'd feel really safe with you in the woods. <laughs> like, I'm invincible. <laughs> she will heal me and I'll be fine. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> there was one instance, I remember being in the Northwoods yeah. and I, you know, when I was, I was quite a bit younger and whatever, I stepped on a log, but like not uh, like perpendicular. It was like uh, parallel-ish. But it was wet and snowy and I stepped in and I like instantly regretted and knew exactly what was about to happen. You know, it was feet above the face, up in the air, boom, right down on the, on the, on the logs I went. But I was stuck. Like my tree stand was on my back. And Greg, you know what I'm talking about, this big Cadillac tree stand. And I like couldn't get up. And my gun came down on me and everything. Like it was like, you know, I could have been in much worse shape. Look, my pride would have been hurt if someone was watching. But, you know, I, I just wiggled my way out of it and got up. But. You know, I could have clunked my head, my gun, you know, like, could, heaven forbid that could have gone off or bashed me in the face or who knows. I mean, it can happen kind of in a split second. And that brings me to, like, another point. That brings me to another point. Always tell at least somebody where you're going. Like, you have your the app, you can drop yep. your pins or whatever, but at least tell somebody where you're going. So that way, and, like, I know, guys, I see this meme all the time. The lady's like, well, when are you coming back? And I'm like, is it dark yet or whatever? Well, at least have, like, if I'm not back by this time, maybe send somebody to check on me type thing. Just because, you know, something like that could happen. You could have a stroke. You could have a cardiac incident. I mean, you could get hypothermic. You could have a heat exhaustion. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. And nobody's going to notice you until, you know, it's way too late. Yeah, what I'm seeing in, in this, right. like, uh, article or whatever this is, um, you know, one of the things is, like, if you can prevent going alone, like, don't go solo and or tell someone where you are, whether that's someone that's with you mm-hmm. or not. I think it's a pretty big deal. And then also, like, if you are hunting with a friend and you do have, like, a medical condition, like you have diabetes or um, you have an allergy to like these things, or if you do have like a pacemaker, if you have some kind of cardiac thing, if you carry like an EpiPen or if you carry glucose or if you carry anything, tell them where that's at in case you become incapacitated and you can't find it. I mean, because I know people that are allergic to bees and they carry an EpiPen, but let's say that's in their pack and their throat's closing off and they're, they're fighting to breathe. And you have to be in charge of like finding that and giving the shot. And then also ask them to go through it and run through how to do these things. Because a lot of people don't know how to give an EpiPen, even though it's an auto injector. Yep. Yeah. We have one for our, our one, yeah. well, going to be one year old. It's, ter- I'm terrified to ever have to use the damn thing. Uh, you know, like usually just have Benadryl and, and, on standby and the first. Best but... thing, the best thing you can do is practice. I mean, if, if you're going to be taking them into the woods, I mean, you have to know how to use these things because you have to be proficient with, with an emergency. I mean, it's got to be muscle memory. Yeah, that's valid. Were you going to say something, Greg? I was just going to say, make sure you don't hide your EpiPen on me when I got to stick you with it, okay? Not my EpiPen, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, some of the things, like you mentioned, like if it's heat exhaustion or maybe you get really cold and get hypothermic... Um, there could be allergic reactions to things in the woods. A lot of plants, or there's some or poison if ones. Or if you're 
if you have a stroke, even, I mean, I know people that are young that have had strokes because, you know, any, anybody can develop a clot somewhere and it could go to your brain and you could stroke out and then, or have a hypoglycemic incident if you're out there all day and you're not eating properly. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that have these cool little monitors on their phones and the little chip in their arm, but you know, what if they get too low and they're not paying attention? There's, they're watching this big buck coming in and, you know, all of a sudden they shoot the buck and then they go to go after it a half hour later. And then they're confused because they don't, they haven't eaten yet. They're so excited. Have you, have you encountered any of these types of things in the field? Like, like a field, I should say, not in the field, but like, um, um, well, at my previous employment, I did haul a, bar- a couple of people that have fallen out of tree stands, but I have taken people who have fallen out of trees, and it is not fun. Usually, they fall in the most god-awful place to get to, and I work in an ambulance. I'm not trained to go get people in the field, and then me having to take all of my stuff that I need to get to the person to try to figure out what's going on, I mean, that provides a problem. Thank God we have wonderful um officers uh, police officers and fire that we work side by side with on a lot of these incidents and actually dnr officers if we have to go out on a river or anything these people are wonderful they are so good about getting us where we have to go because they know what our they know what our job is our job is to help these people and their job is to get us to these people so yeah i have to imagine they're pretty motivated to get you there i mean they don't have the slightest clue how to do what you do just as you wouldn't theirs you know you wouldn't like I, I wouldn't know no. any of the police scanner codes that they're throwing around over over air or even what channel to tune into. They wouldn't have a clue, you know, in some cases. I guess maybe officers and firefighters might be a little bit different than, like, someone in the DNR. I'm assuming they have some basic training around that stuff, considering their role, but... Actually, tell you the truth, I have done a lot of training. I did a, a three-day weekend training, an active shooter training with uh, some officers, some DNR officers and some fire departments, and... Those guys are just as qualified as any officer I know. And a lot of the officers that I know have at least EMT level training. So they, they do kind of understand a little bit of basic first aid. So, I mean, a DNR officer, I would, I would put up with any kind of other officer as well. Yeah. It's at a certain level. They can't go much deeper than that if it's no too bad, right? If they haven't experienced that stuff before, like you do on a regular basis, that experience you know, that's something that you can't train yeah. for is right. Being through it and having done some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's wild. I mean, and then I also recommend everybody learn how to do CPR. I mean, just basic there's fa- family CPR class, friends and family CPR classes that are offered or else get certified. Uh, basically know how to do compressions. That's the biggest thing because compressions, keeping the, the brain, perfused is probably the most important thing. Like I don't, I even, I carry something that I could do mouth to mouth with, but they actually recommend just doing compression only CPR in the field now because it's, it's better for the perfusion versus whatever oxygen you're blowing into somebody's mouth. So compressions over like the mouth to mouth, like, is it? Yeah. They, they just recommend just doing compressions and it's, it's good to know, how to do compressions and how hard to push and where to push. A lot of people do compressions incorrectly. I like a lot of lay people do compressions incorrectly and they think they're actually helping when they're not really doing anything. Um, so I, I do recommend going somewhere and learning how to do actual CPR. 
in first yeah, aid. I just, like, I just had to do it for work, so I'm I'm one of the few people at work that got certified with CPR, where they had um, Red Cross come in and, and go through that with us, and they actually um, had the whole dummy laid out and like you had to press on it if you didn't press it hard enough the dummy wouldn't light up so you kind of learned how to do compressions and they also recommended like this air mask so you're not going directly to someone's mouth it actually was a mask that covers the nose and mouth and you're able to uh breathe that breathe air into them with it Mm -hmm. how many compressions is it uh it's like it's like a range like is it like 100 100 100 to 120 a minute and a lot of people that it seems really um intense to a lot of people because a lot of people don't understand you know the whole concept but when you push you want to push hard and fast it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's that complicated but it, it can be very intimidating to actually start cpr on somebody that you if you've never started cpr on an actual person before in, in my field of work, obviously, I've had to start compressions on somebody, and it's it's rough. Like, it's very hard to do good compressions for a very long time. Most people, like, we have to switch out every two minutes. That's what you're trained to do. You're trained to do five rounds of 20 to 30, and I usually can only go, like, a minute to a minute and a half of good compressions before I'm tired because it's hard. Someone just commented, you know, no mouth to mouth with COVID flying around. It's a good point, actually, right? <laughs> I mean, really, if you right. think about it. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's life over limb. So I guess it's, I mean, it is what it is. It's true. It's true. But I was like, oh, I man, I didn't even consider mouth, that. But... I, I keep forgetting about it from time to time. Like, oh, that's right. It's a thing. Um, I just think that the tree stand safety is probably pretty important. There's a lot of preventative things you can do as a hunter, you know to avoid an injury like that. I think that's at least from, I used to look at the DNR injury reports. Um, I still do from time to time. And one of the most common injuries was falling out of a tree, you know, and they can be fatal, but a lot, oftentimes it's just, just enough to, you know, decapacitate you. Is that the right word? Incapacitate? Yeah. What the hell? And My words are not good tonight. So if somebody were to fall out of a tree stand with you, the, the most important thing you want to do is you want to keep them warm and you want to make sure that they're um, alert. If they're not alert, then you need to go get help. If you're in a place where there's not cell service, then you need to leave them to go get the help and remember how to get back to the tree stand. Um, but yeah, just keeping them warm, keeping them calm. Those are like big things that you can do. And like, if if they're able to like walk out, if they have like a broken arm or if a broken leg, you can splint them with like articles of clothing and sticks. If you can find something that's sturdy enough, like you can make things work if you have to, but if they're on the ground and they can't feel like legs or um, arms, then you just need to leave them there because they probably do have a back or spinal injury and they do, and moving them can make that worse. Okay. Yep. This could be an interesting exercise. Unless, uh, oh, go ahead. Unless they're in like a place where, like, if they're in a creek and they're like having water go over their face or something, then moving them obviously would be more important, life over limb type thing. You'd want to move them just a little ways to get them to a safe spot. Yeah, that makes sense. 
there's um so I couldn't help myself. I just Googled the the DNR's hunting incident report and you know, it'd be interesting to just I might just pick one of these and see like what what would you do with this situation? Um so these are not great. Like twenty-four year old male, uh middle and index finger of right hand severely lacerated by shotgun pellets. So not fatal. Okay. It tells you what happened so too. Pellets, like, pellets actually wouldn't be that big of a deal. I would probably just wrap the the injured extremity and I would just take them in. I probably wouldn't do anything special. I would monitor it and make sure that it wasn't bleeding profusely, but with something minor like that, um, basically what they're going to do is I'm going to take them into the ER. They're going to clean the wound and they're going to extract the pellets like, and, and he'll just walk out of the ER probably unless he's got broken fingers and stuff like that, then he might have to have surgery. Well, I'm looking at more of these. Some of these are not good. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know. So speaking of pellets, the next one on the list is multiple pellet injuries to the aorta, right lung, and internal stomach. Yeah, that one would be probably not. I mean, it depends on where these pellets are, but I would be very concerned about bleeding. I would actually probably call a trauma alert. And when I call a trauma alert, usually they put a helicopter in route to either the hospital or to the scene, depending on what it is, because that would be an injury that an aorta is something that I can't fix. So I would definitely have to get them to where they would have to go. And I would also be concerned about their breathing because any open wound to the chest, like you can't obviously put a tourniquet on it. And if you cover it with a dressing, you can cause something called a pneumothorax or a hemothorax, which is a collapsed lung. So you have to put occlusive dressings over that. So that way air can, can escape. So, Injuries like that are hard to manage by a layperson because, for one, somebody got shot in the chest, and for two, there are organs inside that you have to worry about, and you have to worry about, like, internal bleeding, and I can't fix internal bleeding. Yeah. No, that's... Man, there's actually more gunshot wounds than I ever considered looking at all of these uh, for 2019, and a lot of people shooting their feet. (laughs) It's a lot of, like, toes. Toes and fingers, but there's a couple mm-hmm. chest and leg, and it's not pretty. Yeah, and that that probably happened at the truck. Actually, usually a lot of those injuries happen at trucks because people are loading and unloading mm-hmm. their guns, and they go off. Um, kind of rare, like rarely have I seen any that have actually happened out in the field. But I'm sure that happens probably turkey hunting more than anything because people don't really always look and see where they're shooting. Yeah. A lot of these are like bird hunting and pheasant hunting laid shotgun down in grass was 10 yards away. It fell over discharge shot in chest. Like, I don't know. Anybody can go here. I had to pull up on the, on the screen for a second there, but that's actually an interesting extra. We should have spent more time doing that. Like, you know, Hey Sarah, reverse engineer this one. What would you do? How would you solve this problem? It's kind of fun (laughs) because in there, like they were, you're like critically thinking on the spot. Why would you do this, this and this? And I would call these people in like, that was kind of cool. Got to put you into action there a little (laughs) bit. Yeah, I know. Right. You, you were like instantly responded to you. Like, no, no, this is what I do. And this is probably what happened. And you were right. (laughs) It's like, that's crazy. Oh man. Well, well, Greg... You have to remember that this is my job, yeah. and I and I'm actually certified in other things. Like I have my paramedic certification, but I have to get other certifications. I have to have ACLS, which is my advanced cardiac life support. 
So that's what I would do when people are like coding, which is a CPR situation or a really fast heart rate or really slow heart rate. And then I have PALS, which is my pediatric advanced life support, which would be the children's version of the ACLS. I have my neonatal resuscitation um, license as well, my NRP, which is for little babies. And then I have uh, AMLS, which is medical um, life-saving things, which would be like your hypoglycemias, your um, diabetes, your allergic reactions, just like your medical emergencies. And then I also have PHTLS, PHTLS, which is pre-hospital trauma, which I have my book out actually looking at the wilderness um, trauma care for tonight's episode, just because I'm like, I don't know, maybe he'll ask me a question and I won't know it. And I have my book right handy. (laughs) Good for you. I wasn't going to try to stump you or anything like that. I, I don't know. But, like, I am a klutz. My dad's a klutz. It's like everyone's in the family. I'm surprised I haven't been more severely injured. Um, one of the weirdest injuries I got hunting was for my stoop back when he had back tags. The pin on those things was uh-huh. huge. And I, like, whatever for a reason, I just couldn't Did get it. Did you a- pin yourself in the back? No, dude. I pinned myself in between, like, the in between your index finger and your thumb, that, like, meaty area punctured right into there it was the weirdest terrible feeling i was like oh what is this why did that happen to me you know like poked out and got me i was like shit you know and then i like i couldn't like grip so then the next morning i'm trying to climb the trees so i'm like oh my god i can't grip it was stupid like i'm an idiot you know that's that's how i injure myself by the way i went camping this weekend right we stopped home for the the mm-hmm. storm to bypass we were pretty close and i got like a two-inch splinter in my heel from my own kitchen floor that's how I got injured, not oh from the gosh. camping. It was terrible. I need new floors. If anybody out there knows somebody, please. You come, you come home, and you get a splinter in your foot, but somehow you manage to not axe your finger off using the using the axe to chop firewood. Yep. No, I can I can swing an axe. That's for sure. But I cannot apparently walk around my own effing kitchen. It's like the third time this has happened too. <laughs> Oh boy! And then and the if I recall things... when I cooked you salmon fish, and you you did try catching yourself with the net too. So I don't remember that. I must have blacked that out. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh, we get a lot of fish hooks too. Oh God! Yeah. Like right now is fishing season, so we get a lot of fish hooks. And with COVID going on, let me tell you, there's a record amount of fishermen out there. People are looking for other things to do. They're picking up fishing. You can't go anywhere and buy hardly any fishing here. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Most of the Bigger box stores around here, Walmarts, Fleet Farms, Farm Fleets, fishing gear is just wiped. So Yeah, and we I, and I'm I'm hospital based next to the Mississippi River, so we get all the boating injury, boating accidents and stuff like river things that come into. So I mean God, people are just walking accidents everywhere. It's like something is happening right now. Right now someone is about to injure themselves on a four wheeler in the woods mm-hmm. somewhere on the water. It's gonna happen. It's crazy. Are you scared of everything then? Like, are you like, you know, overtly alarmist about safety because you've seen so many terrible things and you're like, Ooh, this is going to end bad. I know what's going to happen here. Um, (laughs) yes and no. I guess like when I see things happening, I'm always like, Oh, this is going to suck. But then I see like the whole, my beer stuff. And I laugh because I'm like, well, this is obviously going to end badly. And I mean, I don't try to be that mom. Like my kids are 
they go out and do things and they ride their bikes and I'm like, whatever, like if you get hurt, that's, I mean, you're a kid, but, um, I'll probably get it for like child abuse or something because I said that, but I'm not yeah, like, no, it's fine. you can't do anything because I'm scared of you getting hurt. No, I mean, you have to go out and play and get dirty and scrape up your ankles or your knees and ankles and shit. And it's just like, I mean, you're a kid. That's how you learn. Yep. Yep. But Kids I'm are going to do what they want to do. Yeah. And I'm also like, when I go to their ball games and stuff, if somebody has an injury, I'm usually the first one that they call, you know, like, hey, will you come look at this? What do you think? Do you think it's serious? Do you think it's not serious? You know, usually it's, eh, it's okay, you know, I just ice it. Rub and some dirt like on that, it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rub, rub some dirt, rub on. Some dirt on it and go back out there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yep. Sarah, we got a, we planted the seed uh, like we do with every guest at the beginning, and uh, hopefully you thought about it a little bit, but why don't you share with us your most memorable hunt to date? Oh, my most memorable hunt to date. I'm probably going to have to say it was my first buck that I actually shot and recovered. Um, it would have been with my dad. We were out uh, early muzzleloader season, and... We'd been trying to get a buck the previous year, and and he was just gung ho on getting me this, getting me any deer because I don't run trail cams, he doesn't run trail cams, we just hunt, and so we get out there and we're waiting, and it's opening night of early muzzleloader, so it's October, middle of October, and it's hot, and we're sitting second row of a, the cornfield watching over some hay, and the deer start coming out. There's you know, three, four does and a nice, big, tall, 10 white rack buck. And he's waiting on me. It's probably a hundred yards out. He's waiting on me to move the gun to shoot it while the gun is on a tripod and the tripod is in a corn root. So I can't move this gun at all. And I'm trying to get it out. I'm trying not to move because he's looking in our general direction. Nobody's alarmed and like the does are coming our way they're like you know 50 yards out so i'm trying to get this gun out without making a big commotion long story short the deer all go over the hill and he is out of my life forever so since all the deer are gone i do work my gun the the thing out of the corn root and i get it positioned and it's the sun's going down. It's getting, you know, later in the day. It's almost time to quit. And just on the other side of this corn, we see this deer. And he puts his head down, and it's a buck. And he's literally five feet away from me. And he walks out, and he gets to where, like, like we're sitting. And he kind of looks. And then he kind of angles out at, like, a 45-degree angle. And he's about 10 yards away, and I shoot him. The smoke clears. Dad's like, he might have been too close. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I hit him or not. Well, we go and we start walking out and we find him piled up 100 yards away, he's dead. And he was my nice, I'd say probably 130s, but he's a nice eight point and he's on my wall right now. So I'm, I was pretty happy with that. He was my first buck. He was a big deer. He probably, he probably weighed 220, 230. He was huge. Wow. Cool. That is a big animal. How was the drag? Did you have to go far? Uh, we actually used the four-wheeler and then getting him in the back of the truck was another thing. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure like now working in EMS, like I wasn't in EMS at that time, but now working in EMS, that's just a normal, you know, person is, you know, rolling them around and, and getting them up and stuff like that. But like getting this deer into the back of a truck was pure hell. <laughs> that's crazy. Good for you. That's awesome. Five, ten yards away with the gun. So did you just like get brown in the in the sight and we're like, shit, this is it. I gotta shoot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, hard Pretty to much. know. Hard to know when they're that close. You're was, like, he was so close, and it was I like I could barely move, and he was just like right there. Yep. Yeah, at that point, you can just you know, okay, point and shoot. We're gonna get him. But yeah, yeah, that's cool. And the gun, the gun was. I mean, it was muzzleloader. It was tightened out to like 150 yards. So, I mean, it was a good shot. It was double lunged him. I mean, he was he was dead on his feet. So, rock on. See, I told you an hour ago by quick, we're like pretty much there. (laughs) So we'll get some shameless plugs and like refresh everybody's memory on how they find you, how they get in touch, you know, um, you know, maybe some of the goals you have for your podcast and what you're looking to do and uh, where to guide people Um, to. With my my podcast, I I definitely want to get more more awareness to mental health and get rid of the stigma. Um, I know a lot of people focus on like the military and cops for like mental health stuff, but firefighters and dispatchers and, and EMS people, they also struggle with like PTSD. We may not be in as dangerous situations, but we have to see a lot of things that we can't forget. So, I mean, I'm trying to, to end the stigma that it's okay to not be okay. Um, to, to have people just talk about it and, and to try to save more lives. 12 people in EMS actually commit suicide every day. And I know that's, not as many as like military people, but that's still 12 people that are helping other people that are gone. So my main goal for my podcast is to draw awareness and to, to get all sorts of different people, like anybody, not just EMS, but anybody on there that has, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, all things that can make, you know, living a normal life difficult. Um, just getting that out there that, that people there's an outlet and that's the outdoors and it doesn't have to be hunting or fishing. It could be hiking, camping, anything, you know, getting outdoors and playing golf, like anything to get activity outside is good for your mental health. And nature is one hell of a healer. I mean, in any capacity, you can be out in it Mm -hmm. and enjoying it. You'll find subtleties that can kind of put your mind at ease. And, And that's actually what I use for, you know, clearing my clearing my brain I mean I see a lot of things and there's a lot of things that I wish I could unsee and getting outside even for a little while helps just ease ease all the pain in my brain it's a it's a special thing I find that if I don't spend time outdoors for an extended period of time I start to just get pretty tightly wound and and turn into a bit of an asshole and it's like almost like when you realize you're crabby because you're hungry and like oh man I haven't eaten anything today I should probably like the Snickers commercials it's like that, but mm-hmm. obviously worse. And I'm like, I need to spend a day outside. I have to. I don't smoke, you know, I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke weed. I don't get drunk. I have a drink on this podcast on Tuesdays, but there's not a lot of release, you know, mm-hmm. and, and nature is that. And whether that's for, for mental health or mental clarity or sanity or whatever, it's it's a powerful healer. But I think, you know, we owe a thank you to our EMS folks for doing what they do. And thank you for what you do. Um 
obviously you're well trained and experienced. You know what you're talking about. But I imagine you've seen some things that you can't unsee. And I appreciate you raising awareness around that stuff. Uh, You just telling me that raised awareness. I didn't realize that at all. And even consider it, you know. And and a lot of and a lot of what EMS providers don't under like they don't want to have people like ask them what's the worst thing you've seen because right. when somebody asks me that the the first thing that comes to my mind is every bad thing that I've ever seen it starts playing like a movie in my brain and I don't want to talk about it like I've seen some crap like I've seen a lot of crap but I want to talk about like hey we got this person back and their family was just so excited or you know, this kid, like you see these officers, the kids choking, and then all of a sudden the kids crying and everybody's like happy. Like, I like to see that stuff. And I like to talk about that stuff. I don't like to talk about the stuff that, that has bad sideways, right? Because that, that just, it just puts me in a position where I have to try to remain stoic while I'm standing someplace. And it's so hard because I have to think of all the things that have happened. It's interesting that people are conditioned to ask that question. I don't know why that is, and they obviously don't know. You know, it's kind of weird. And it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. If the people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a paramedic. Oh, I bet you've seen some crap. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's part of it, you know. That's wild. And then like the whole coronavirus, like I didn't get my license and expect to be involved in a pandemic. And at first, I was terrified that I was going to bring this home to my family like I'm my life I'm not worried about like me dying because I've made peace because in the back of the ambulance I have a better chance of dying in an accident than dying of the coronavirus honestly so like I've made my peace (laughs) and it's sad to say but I've already wrote my funeral in case something like that happens just so that way my family doesn't have to worry about it you know um because most people that are involved in an accident do pass away um, in the back because we're, I'm not restrained. I mean, I know I should be, but if I'm doing work on my patient, I'm not restrained usually, which is on me, but I'm also trying to help this person. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. Like I've made my peace, but like when this first started and everybody was freaking out about it, I was concerned and I, I was actually going to move out of my house and stay in a room away from my family. So I didn't bring it home. And then the more we learned about it, the more I'm like, well, I'm just going to take a bunch of extra precautions that I don't usually take. And I'm just going to stay up, like do my things at work, shower at work, and then come home and wash my clothes right away. And nobody comes into contact with anything. So I don't have to worry about it. They're probably more likely to get it from, going out and about, you know, doing their thing than they are for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I continue to try to educate myself more and more about it as it evolves. Hard to find the truth and all that, but that's a whole nother podcast topic. I am sure not one that I think I could navigate well, (laughs) but I I, thank you for everything you do. Uh, Sarah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being a listener and a, and a caller and a supporter. And, you know, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for, for being here today. Well, I really appreciate yeah, you having me, you. having me on. I mean, it's definitely, definitely okay. <laughs> yeah, see, we told you it's all <laughs> mediocre here. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're going to end the live broadcast and uh, stay tuned. We'll get this thing produced this evening. 
Hey guys, Taryn Hunt here with eHunter.com. Back again this week with your articles from last week. We have a lot of articles on grizzly bears that were written last week as grizzlies are waking up and now it's summertime. They're out and about feeding. They're interacting with humans and we're seeing a lot of news stories about them. So we'll actually we'll start with a grizzly article up in Washington State. Um, this was actually came down from federal um, sources, but uh, they have canceled the uh, grizzly bear reintroduction into Washington state. Again, that was a federal decision, not a, a state-specific decision, um, but due to circumstances, they will not do that grizzly bear reintroduction. Depending on what side of the fence you are there with uh, grizzly bears, uh, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. Um, we'll go next uh, to Utah, and this was uh, kind of an interesting article. You know, many states have leftover tags that you can purchase after the draws are all finished up. Uh, Utah is one of those states. Colorado is another one. Um, but Utah does have some big game permits that are left over. If you're interested in looking at what they have left over, they're only doing it online. But you can go online to their website and look at those those uh, tags that they have left over. Um, it went up, I believe, on the 16th of July. So it's been a few days now since it's gone up there. So a lot of the good ones may be gone, um, but check it out if you're interested in hunting Utah this year. We'll jump up to Montana. We had a couple articles up there, both involving grizzly bears. The first one was um, a grizzly bear had attacked a wildlife biologist. Now, the biologist wasn't actually on duty working at the time. He was on a bike ride, but um, uh, he was out and about. In the mountains, the grizzly saw him, stood up on his back legs, and then charged him. The biologist actually had bear spray with him. He sprayed the bear. Uh, the bear acted like it was nothing at all and, and kept coming. Um, he was, the, the biologist was hospitalized with some injuries. Um, we don't have any pictures up on the site that I last time I checked, but um, kind of interesting article. Be careful out there with those grizzly bears. Uh, if you see one, definitely try to avoid them if you can. The next one that we had in Montana was about a grizzly bear that was relocated. He had wandered into a, um, a campsite and actually got into a cabin. And so they had the, the wildlife officials had to come in and actually relocate that bear. What a thing to wake up to though in a cabin is a, a grizzly bear, huh? <laughs> um, last one that we have comes, uh, actually no, we have two more, I apologize. Uh, well, this one is in Nebraska. It actually covers a few different states. I think most people are aware, uh, familiar with the Hidden Hills Outfitters. Uh, they've been kind of in the news lately because of some um, accusations uh, with a poaching case. And this article is based on that poaching case. You can go on that article and read the details about the poaching case and, and what's going on with, with them. Kind of sad when a, an outfitter gets um, in that kind of a situation. Last one we have, and this was one that I was really excited to to hear about we did a podcast a little while ago about Missouri's first elk season and the details around that if you haven't listened to that podcast go check it out because we uh, I sat down with uh, one of the wildlife um, managers out there and he talked about the details of the hunt where it would be how many tags be giving given out um, and then resident non-resident that kind of stuff obviously not obviously but just so you're aware since it's the first season it's all going to be resident tags but those residents have drawn their tags now. The first five people in Missouri that get to hunt elk now have those tags in their pockets. And so we wrote, we put up the article about those five hunters. If you want to read the details about them and uh, what they have coming up, go ahead and check out that article. Super excited for them. Excited to see how their uh, hunt goes and, and what they're able to harvest there in Missouri. 
So those are our articles for this last week. Again, guys, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Let us know. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. If you see anything out there that's newsworthy and uh, wanted to see it up on our website, let us know. We're happy to be to, to put it up there. Thanks, guys. All right, the tip of the week. Uh, this week, I'm going to handle the tip of the week. Typically, uh, Anthony Heller with Deer Vein Does It. He's out this week, uh, staying busy doing his thing. And uh, Anthony, just so you know, I ran six and a half miles on 720, which would have been Monday. Just throwing that out there. Uh, a little friendly competition. Anyway, uh, tip of the week this week is, you know, speaking of running six and a half miles in heat, uh, it is important to stay hydrated. Uh, it is important to stay healthy. And based on today's episode, um, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is just notifying someone of your whereabouts, whether that's someone in your direct hunting party or someone back home, letting someone know where you are. And if you can hunt with a buddy, hunt with a buddy. I think there's actually a competing app out there to mine. I don't think it's uh, a major competitor, but they have like a beacon thing, which they have a patent pending around where uh, you can share your pin specifically with someone. And it's like kind of this SOS kind of thing. Uh, so a little bit different than the where to hunt app, but you know, also like, Shameless plug, the Where to Hunt app is a pretty great way to keep tabs on folks. If they're in your hunting party and you don't hear from them, you can at least have a sense of where they are. We have a private group feature that we can, you know, that you can use um, to track your specific hunting party and you can be incognito from the rest of the public users. So uh, definitely something that's worth checking out and looking into this season, but for other things too. You know, I, I remember my wife went for a run a couple years back on a trail run and got herself lost and turned around. I was at work. The sun was going down. Her battery was dying. She opened up the Word of Hunt app. I could see where she was immediately and uh, I got to navigate her out. And so it's cool because, you know, iPhone has that feature, find my friend. I think they've kind of buried it into the, the device now. Like it's not like a standout app, but that only works with other people with iPhones. Like this, our app works with, if you're an Android into Android, iPhone, iPhone, or Android to iPhone. Um, so really, it's it's a it's a neat feature, but uh, safety is pretty critical. We read some of the like incident reports on the DNR, like being aware of your target and beyond, or people you know getting fatigue or uh, overheat, exhaustion, or dehydration, or just lost or breaking a leg. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the woods. Just Make sure someone knows where you are or knows whereabouts to find you if you don't make it home by dark or whatever that ends up looking like, even if you're out scouting and stuff like that in these hot summer days. So that's the tip of the week. Stay hydrated, inform somebody. Uh, there's probably a better tip that could go into that or some more things too. If you got any opinions or thoughts or suggestions, send them our way. We'll share it out with the group. So thanks everybody for tuning in. If you haven't given us a rating or review on iTunes yet, Maybe we're not doing a good enough job. Uh, and if you want to tell us how we can do better, like that'd be a great way to do it. If you think we're, gonna, we're doing a good job, like please give us a rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate it a whole bunch. There is a link in the bio from our Instagram account to do that too. So uh, we try to put everything that you could use in that, in that link there. Uh, and that's all we got for this week. So everybody have a great day. Enjoy your week and uh, I'm public. Bye.